Everybody, hello, this is Shift M Podcast, episode 33, with a special guest, Shoaib Ahmed. Uh, let me give the microphone to him and ask him to introduce himself. Hello. Hello. Yeah. I'm, I'm Shoaib Ahmed. Um, I'm the practice manager at Eagle Technology Group in New Zealand. I'm based out of Wellington and look after our professional services business. Um, it's a multidisciplinary team, IT. Um, a team comprises service delivery managers, project managers, enterprise architects, software engineers, and, uh, and a whole bunch of uh, others. Um, we work in a geospatial niche industry. Um, other than that, let's uh, get the talk going. And um, if uh, there is more interest, I will talk more about myself, but I'm sure mm-hmm. uh, we'll talk more about the topic itself. Sure. So you're like practically working in IT projects or you consult them? Um, it's, uh, it's a bit of both. So I have some in the team that do consulting work, which is more sort of working with the customer advising them. Uh, but I have others in the team that actually will implement IT projects themselves. Okay, that's, that's great because uh, the topic for discussion today is uh, metrics, if you don't mind. That's, mm-hmm. that's the very like, interesting problem. We haven't had the chance to discuss it so far in previous podcasts. But uh, in my experience, that they, they really matter. But uh, in the industry, I quite often hear uh, the opinion that metrics don't really matter, that we don't need to collect numbers, that something else is more important. So what's your take on that? Do we need numbers or not? Um, I think there is a bit of uh, truth to both. Um, projects by, by nature are risky business. So if it wasn't risky, then people wouldn't actually be running projects, right? So there is a need to um, collate and communicate what the risk is and how you address risk and all of that. And there needs to be a common language for people to, um, to deal and, and have that conversation. So for that, metrics are very useful. Uh, what sometimes isn't so useful is just doing metrics for the sake of it because somebody else is running some sort of metric and we're doing the same. Um, that doesn't really serve any purpose at all. Um, the other area is probably um, in some areas, metrics can't actually give you uh, an appropriate number anyway. Um, for example, what's the level of our... Um, motivation and how stressed people are and all of those kind of things. You can't really have metrics around that. So some of it, metrics will tell you a good story. Others, metrics don't necessarily tell you it. So it's you have to run by metrics, but also you have to have other methods uh, that can actually tell you the full story. But in your projects, uh, in, 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 the last pro- in the recent projects you've been working in, uh, did you collect metrics did you manage by numbers or or not and if you did then for example what kind of metrics did you use so there are two uh, two uh, approaches that we take so for example i'll give a very quick outline of what a professional services business looks like um, so we have long sales cycles so we don't actually have a product as such so it is more consulting project type activities. So sales cycle is quite long. Um, the way that we would make more money or less money is by having people busy, right? So that's the only way for us to make money. So utilization is a key figure for us. 
if people are more utilized, we are more profitable. If people are less utilized, we are less profitable. So that's most of our metrics actually look towards that. And in order to achieve the most utilization, what we try to do is to have what we call annuity revenue, which uh, kind of gives us uh, revenue every month uh, versus actual project revenue, which is which can be variable uh, depending on the sales cycle. So those are the two main categories of metrics that we try and uh, capture is how much of our business is annuity revenue, so that's guaranteed revenue every month, versus how much could be variable, uh, which depends on our sales cycle. So those are the two main categories of um, metrics that we run. Mm-hmm. But you you don't measure how effectively those people are utilized. You just measure the amount of time they spend, but you don't know what exactly they do inside those time frames. Uh, we we do well. So, some of our metrics will tell that story. Others uh, probably won't. Um, the kind of uh, metrics that are difficult to maintain is, for example, um, where you have a fixed price where less effort is actually better um, compared to more, uh, whereas u- utilization sometimes uh, more effort put, people put, put in, that tends to be rewarded. So um, try, trying to come up with metrics that um, tell story ac- across different contracting types uh, sometimes can be difficult. Um, so we do try and measure both, but I wouldn't necessarily say we, we are successful in getting the full story either way. Mm-hmm. And uh, do you see any like problems or with the people who are being used as the source for the metrics uh, collection process? Or it's okay I think the to... most com- yeah, the most common um, challenge is always people logging their time in the correct uh, manner. So bigger the team gets, um, the discipline gets harder and harder to um, uh, get right. Um, and you have to you have to be insistent. Uh, the other challenge we find is we try and do daily um, daily entries in terms of what people are working on. Um, so we are actually running as close to real time for our decision making and making choices in our portfolio in terms of where to focus and where not to focus. Um, but that seems to be human nature sometimes gets in the way. So that, that is that is quite a quite challenging part of the um, overall process. And how do you deal with that with those challenges? So if people because in my experience I've seen it a few times, many times actually in my projects that when you start collecting metrics, when you start asking people what were you doing or what's the progress or you know, how far you are and uh, all different sides of information, they sometimes resist and say that we are not uh, robots, we're not you know, cogs in a big engine, we're not supposed to be measured like, like, uh, you know, like machines. It's, it's a more complicated process, so just stop collecting metrics. That's what I've seen. Yeah, I, th- I think um, there there are some challenges in terms of um, how do you measure how much work have you done or how far through the work you are, uh, especially something like a software development uh, item where you could hit a problem, you could be going swimmingly up to 50% or you think what you've done half the work, then you hit one problem and then for two days you've actually not made any progress whatsoever. So for a project manager that may not have come from an IT background, that, that seems very incongruous as to how could you make such quick uh, progress and then suddenly no progress for periods of time. 
So it, it is more sort of getting that understanding to not just the technical staff, but also the people that are actually asking the metrics um, to be uh, collected. So for example, we, we tend to try and hire project managers and service delivery managers that come from the IT background uh, explicitly. So my background is in software development. So I used to be a software developer a long time ago. So a lot of um, that we try and convince them it is, um, it is for their betterment in terms of whether we need more resources, less resources. So people will get stressed if there isn't enough resources. So we, uh, we use this as a metric to say how many staff members should we have for the period of work, um, the amount of work that we have on. So we try and um, sell on the fact that there is actually some outcome for their end as well. Um, that seems to work partially, not always. Mm -hmm. So you're saying that, if I understood it right, so you're saying that we have to somehow demonstrate to people uh, the benefit of being measured somehow and that's how we buy their interest. Yeah, um, ultimately um, people are like that so it doesn't really matter who you're addressing, uh, whether it's uh, the executives or it is the VPs of products or services or the IT staff themselves, that they'll do things that are of their own benefit. So as long as you can show some benefit to the people that you want something out of, um, I think that they're more likely to, um, to indulge uh, and uh, try and accommodate you. Mm -hmm. And very often, again, another problem I've been facing is that uh, it's really hard to make metrics accurate when we are talking about uh, you know, metrics coming from people. And, uh, and they complain, teams and and, and developers, programmers, they complain about that inaccuracy and they say that it's better to not have any metrics instead of having metrics which give you false information. I think that's always going to be the challenge. So what we try and do is we try and have very few um, categories that you can choose from. So we will record the project people are working on, um, the type of activity, which will typically be only two or three different options. So the more options that you give, the more there is room for interpretation, and that doesn't actually lead to um, lead to an accurate analysis. So what we are finding is it's better to to measure in coarse areas rather than try to be very specific, um, because at that point, uh, sometimes was I doing analysis or was I doing troubleshooting? Was I doing this or was I doing that? So it becomes too hard to um, to uh, kind of gain it accurately in a team of 40 people, people will, um, will analyze it differently and uh, you get a different uh, result. So we have uh, some set um, phases of projects and we just get people to log against those phases. So your pre-sales, analysis, design, uh, implementation, and uh, post-project support. So we try and limit it to those options. Um, I know probably um, later on, we'll see if we can make it a little bit more granular than that. Uh, but at this stage, we're not actually trying to capture um, to the nth degree. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And um, as a programmer in the past, you said you were a programmer. 
do you think it's possible to measure the performance of a programmer in some numbers? No, I don't think so. Uh, I think what you can measure is you can measure your overall organization or your overall team um, because there is some level of um, um, of normality across uh, a larger team. But an outstanding developer could be four or five up to ten times more productive than a uh, another developer who's just uh, an average developer. Um, and the output that you get from one to the other could be extremely um, different. Um, so I don't think uh, metrics are necessarily good. You give results for individual measurements. Uh, it's a better measurement of the team as a whole um, as opposed to individuals because um, any metrics are usually defined um, or designed um, to, uh, to conform to the normal curve. Um, and people that are really skilled will always fall out of the normal curve and you don't really um, want to be measuring those against the uh, normal curve, really. But if we don't measure that, how do we know who is a good programmer, who is a bad programmer? So I, I tend to not utilise the metrics to measure um, the individual uh, people uh, because that gets into uh, difficulty with, um, how shall I say it, in terms of the output that you get from someone, let's say an outstanding developer, what he can produce in five hours, a normal developer may take 20 hours. So was that five hours more valuable to me than those 20 hours? Uh, it's debatable. So rather than that, what I tend to say is overall the team as, as a whole, uh, how much work are they doing across the total effort that they are putting in and how much of that is productive. So that's what I'm looking at instead of uh, individuals. Trying to measure individuals using metrics, uh, I've found it to be very hard and not very um, productive, actually. It's not very productive because it's offensive or because it's uh, inaccurate? So what, what is the real problem? Why it's not productive? What do you think? It doesn't give the full story. That's um, basically the situation. So the example of the really outstanding developer working five hours and somebody else working 20 hours um, and the productivity um, is totally different. Um, you probably get the same outcome um, out of that. So how do, you, how do you, for a range of abilities, come up with a metric that um, distinguishes for each individual scenario Metrics as a whole are designed um, to look across a portfolio rather than individuals. Because that's what I find um, metrics don't do very well. But, but yeah, but if we don't give the full picture, like you said, which I totally agree that with just one metric, we cannot uh, completely describe the quality of a programmer. But isn't it better to at least give a part of the picture instead of giving no picture at all? No, we, we tend to give uh, some pictures, so um, it's very difficult to uh, kind of um, uh, describe verbally. So we do have utilisation targets for, let's say, some of our senior um, consultants and programmers versus some of the junior programmers. Um, and the reason we try and do that is, for example, for the senior guys, we want them to be mentoring um, some of the intermediate and junior staff. 
So we don't want to want them to be maybe doing fully chargeable work all the time because for a team as a whole, uh, it is more beneficial for a senior guy to spend maybe half a day with three intermediate programmers and all three of them uh, kind of improving. That is far more efficient than the senior guy maybe providing uh, another few hours of chargeable work. So with that in mind, what we try and measure is, um, is how much time are they getting to mentor? Uh, how much time are they actually using in terms of their mentor mentorships? Because these are metrics that give those guys a huge job satisfaction and that tends to work out quite well because uh, that in a team sense, some of the other guys are coming across and improving uh, their output as well. So while we're not necessarily saying you produced 20 hours of billable work that uh, got us X amount of uh, dollars, uh, we are measuring other things. For example, how many hours of mentoring did you do? Because that's a key um, uh, output that we need from some of the uh, top guys. So our team as a whole kind of improves. So if that makes sense, some metrics we do share with the team. Uh-huh. So uh, it looks like if I'm a developer and I join the team, I will have the numbers in front of me saying that good developers in this team, they spend, let's say, 10 hours a, w- a-, a-, a month for mentoring. And I realize for myself that if I spend 10 hours, then I'll be, I'll be put on the, uh, on, the, on, the, on the good developer's board. Yeah, and, and not only that, so the, the senior developers or, or the outstanding developers, um, it, it is a, a set expectation that they do spend that amount of time. Because with technical stuff, sometimes what happens is the guys that are really technically proficient, sometimes they aren't as good necessarily trying to bring other people up to their standard. They, they enjoy uh, solving difficult problems and they don't necessarily enjoy the interaction uh, with others to try and kind of pass on the knowledge. Um, so this is more of a setting an expectation uh, from, from management to the team as a whole in terms of the behavior that we want out of the team is, yes, it's great that you are the top um, uh, utilized target, but um, for the various roles, we actually have some expectations that you would actually contribute in different ways rather than just the bottom number of how many dollars you bring in through, through the door. And um, I'm just trying to understand, is it, you're, is it a good thing that we don't, you know, have this metrics and we don't measure because we can't give the full picture? Or it's a, it's a problem for us and we just cannot solve it and that's why we don't give the full picture. So what's your take on that? Do we need to work on your team, for example? Does it need to work yeah. on finding the way to actually collect the metrics and give people the full picture or you just admit not admit but you just say that it's not possible and we don't want to do that we, do, we want to keep people in this not in the dark but without the full picture yeah so i don't think um we um i, I can't tell that for every organization but um for our organization for example um i think the amount of effort it will take to establish the full story is probably not going to reward us for the outcomes that we want from the team. So one 
purpose of the metric is to measure the another purpose of the metric is to drive certain behaviors right yeah so we want to drive some behavior so we we will share those kind of metrics so for example um, how much collaboration is happening across the teams uh, how much time they're spending with the support teams uh, how much are they teaching the others those kind of metrics where you actually will share we will also share with them in terms of what their uh, actual um, or billable or utilization percentages were. But in terms of making a judgment of, so your result is, I don't know, 80 out of 100, that individual scoring we tend to not do because that I feel that we haven't quite got to that stage. We may or may not um, as we make um, continuous improvements. But at this stage, I see us uh, still quite quite far away from solving that uh, with, uh, with trying to come up with kind of a ranking system that will tell us one way or the other. Mm-hmm. That's the, the, I, I, I agree because, you know, what I've, what I've been experiencing in many situations is that people, especially senior developers who are really ambitious and, uh, uh, and trying to be professional, they don't want to see themselves uh, not ranked at all. They do work for recognition a lot. They not yeah. only work for money, they work for respect, they work for appreciation. They need to see, they want to see themselves as being the best developers of the team. So when the team yeah. tells them that, you know, guys, we're all equal here, we're all the same, you and this guy who just joined us three days ago, we're all the same, we're getting the same appreciation. I think that senior people will not like that. They will try to quit yeah. that. So they need Matt. No, I agree. Like, I agree. So basically, there is a cost to the senior developer always, uh, always wanting to work on technical items and not um, sharing their knowledge with the team. There is a huge cost to that. Um, let's say that developer moves on and uh, chooses to go somewhere else. You lose a huge amount of intellectual property with that one person. So the behavior that we're trying to drive is that the recognition comes in the fact that we're actually asking you not necessarily to be ranked uh, as the guy that does the most amount of billable work but the, or the most amount of uh, whatever that uh, takes you to the top of the chargeability or recognition. The recognition, in fact, is more how much can you bring others through and does your, is your mentors... Uh, uh, that you're mentoring are they improving so that that's a key part of the metric that we are sharing with them in terms of how much are they contributing and what are those guys doing so that actually becomes kind of a a you you can have like um, uh, what you call tribes of people uh, that are competing against each other to get better uh, as opposed to just one person being the outstanding one so we're trying to kind of drive that kind of a um, behavior within the team so so it's a bit, a bit of a um, bit of a trial. We've been we've been running that for about seven eight months, uh, and I think um, the team as a whole is probably benefiting. Uh, but we're we're probably not doing exactly what you're saying in terms of having individuals uh, showing exactly that they are individually the top person. We do measure that, but we don't necessarily share that. With the team. Ah, so you do have this information for the management layer, but you don't make it visible for the entire team, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Because, you know, I've heard stories about software companies. 
I think a year ago or so, or so they, they, some of them that were saying that they made even the salaries of programmers publicly visible, not only for the people inside the team, but also for, uh, for everybody on the market. So you just know if you are a programmer, you just join the team and you know exactly how much who is getting and you know the reason for that, that that person is, I don't know, maybe working here for three years. That's why the salary is 20% higher than mine. And this one is, uh, knows like three languages, programming languages, instead of comparing to me knowing just one. And that's why uh, she's getting 20% more. And, and, and sort of that. So what do you think about that approach, making completely visible the entire situation to encourage people to grow? Yeah. Um, in New Zealand specifically, we have a, we have a challenge with um, our, some of our employment laws. So you can't actually make people's salaries uh, public knowledge um, other, than, uh, other than specific roles. So, for example, executives. Uh, in New Zealand, it's prohibited by law. But what the team, um, what our teams will know is they will know the salary band that they're on. Um, so they will know that um, it will be, so for example, each of the bands will be somewhere around uh, uh, difference of uh, between 10 and uh, 20,000. So they'll know roughly where others are based on their job title. Um, and as people are promoted, people will know kind of, okay, so their salary will be between X and Y. Uh, but they won't necessarily know exactly what we're on, but they will know roughly what we're on. Mm -hmm. you, you're staying a bit far from the microphone. Can you please move back? It's, now the sound is... Yep. Yeah, now it's better. Uh, yeah, I also have the same feeling, actually, because uh, this making this completely public, this salaries is a little bit, maybe a little bit, may, may create more negative things uh, than positive. So yep. maybe that's a little bit too far. But uh, like I said, you know, the senior guys, senior programmers are always interested to be recognized and, and maybe junior people may actually uh, want to become senior if they know exactly what it gives to them, that they mm. know exactly what. No, yeah. I agree. In terms of uh, uh, publishing everyone's individual salaries, I, I think you, you create more problems than you solve. That's, that's my view. Mm -hmm. uh, but for consistency, people... Uh, people do want to be recognized, and so the, the role levels um, do, do reflect um, salary band associated with it. So that, that is probably as close to um, knowing what other, others get paid um, we can come to uh, within the legal framework and also kind of uh, without creating more trouble than it's worth. Mm -hmm. And... Um, you know, in, in, in one project I was working in, we were uh, discussing our progress on this, you know, daily, daily uh, meetups, uh, mm -hmm. again, in terms of numbers. So our project manager, or like Scrum Master, I don't remember, uh, that person was actually presenting some numbers to us, like every day, literally, and showing how far we are. And that was in my experience, that was quite helpful because we knew that there is some timeline and at that timeline, we know exactly what the position is and, and it, was, it was productive. But that person always complained that it took so much time for him to collect that information. It was, you know, it was a complicated process. And then eventually he stopped doing that. So what do you think, what's your take about the, the balance between the amount of time we spend on collecting metrics and the benefits we're getting from them. 
There is definite benefits to um, to collecting metrics because um, the last thing you want to do is run blind. Um, so, and the team itself would want to know whether they're actually making progress. If progress isn't made, then uh, it's, they can review uh, if necessary, pivot and move to uh, a different approach or whatever is necessary. The key here is uh, a lot of people seem to do it uh, manually, but there are plenty of tools out there um, depending on how you, um, how you run your teams to um, automated tools that will make life, um, life a lot easier. Um, and a lot of these will um, integrate with, uh, um, with various CRM systems and defect management systems and all of those kind of things. So uh, if people put in the effort to actually find the right kind of tools uh, for the particular way that they would wish to run their projects, um, a lot of the effort in terms of getting the metrics, um, a lot of people have the same problems and a lot of people have some sort of solution to that. It's just a matter of finding the right solution uh, for the kind of uh, way that one would want to run the projects. Um, there are plenty of solutions out there. That, uh, just the, the key is to pick the right one for, for that particular team. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. And you know, there's the, the term called KP, KPI, like key performance indicators, uh, yeah. which people are using to manage. And I've heard the term called uh, management by objectives. I think it's related to yeah. KPI. So when people know exactly what is expected, what numbers we're expecting to gain, to achieve, and then they just go for it and they get some recognition, some, you know, some reward when they achieve that. So what do you think about this approach? Is it, is it a good idea? Um, what we, um, my personal finding is um, key performance indicators that indicate individual uh, achievements drives one kind of behavior and key performance indicators that focus on the team outcome as a whole, that drives a slightly different kind of behavior. So I think uh, KPIs are an excellent uh, way um, to recognize. And basically part of, uh, for example, in our organization, part of our salary is a base salary, part of it is a bonus. And the bonus is actually based on group performance. So, and we have some KPIs in terms of um, uh, percentage contribution, uh, profitability, um, and a few other things. So as long as the KPI is, actually, because KPI will drive people's individual behavior because people want to achieve inherently. So as long as the KPIs are actually focusing on a team target, um, it is actually quite a, quite a valuable way to reward teams. Uh, but you will, people will naturally compete. So the organization's goal is not to necessarily uh, have individual teams compete, but the overall organization to make the most benefit. So as long as the KPIs are directed towards that, I think it's a, it's a very good thing. And you think that the competition in the, inside the organization is a bad thing? Competition when only one individual is competing against everybody, that's a bad thing. But probably the teams within themselves to compete is not necessarily as bad. I know it's slightly, um, um, it's slightly uh, uh, doesn't necessarily quite uh, equate, but uh, I've found 
this is through personal experience. I find that where you're rewarding uh, only individuals, um, that becomes a difficult um, working uh, situation. Uh, Let me give team. an example. In one team, I was a few years ago, I was suggesting this model, which was never accepted, but the model was sounded like that. Uh, by the, we collect metrics about individuals somehow. We measure, for yep. example, the amount of contribution you made, the amount of uh, features you introduced, the amount of bugs you fixed. There are some numbers. And then by the end of the months, we, we draw um, uh, you know, a list of people, of everybody in the team, and we have numbers in front of each of them. And we know who is the best, we know who is the worst. And then by the result of this so-called so competition, we increase the salary of the best person and we fire the, the, the least productive person. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think about that approach? It's a little bit extreme, but uh, it, it is fair, right? I mean, why do we need to keep the, the least performing person in the team and why can't we reward the best one? No, I think um, that way, though, you, you get into a situation where really difficult uh, problems, um, anyone that has a solution is going to keep it to themselves, whereas um, the behavior that you want is to actually share the, um, uh, share the actual knowledge or learning gained. Um, so competing against teams is basically, um, I, I find, uh, from a personal ex uh, experience, having that model um, getting better results than individuals necessarily um, competing against each other because they'll compete with their own um, immediate um, uh, people as well so that they may compete against the other developer and uh, hiding knowledge from them. Um, the sum of the team is actually less if the individuals are competing against uh, each other within the team. But it only will happen if it will be possible to hide that knowledge, right? So if we, if we somehow organize the work so that, that people will have their individual tasks or their individual job pieces which they need to do, then and they don't need to, well, of course you will say that everybody needs to share some knowledge, right? That we need to have access yeah. to information. But still, if, we, if it's possible to somehow organize the work of, of the team that, that everybody is working on their individual piece all the time, then we can potentially measure the overall result of every single programmer. And we somehow can say that who's the, the good one, who's the bad one. Mm. Right. But um, I find that that is not actually, in theory, that may be, um, that may be um, doable, but uh, I find that in practice, um, you can't really isolate tasks enough. Um, and, less experienced people will know less than more experienced people. But you don't necessarily, you can't hire everybody at the same level. And um, the, re the reality is you'll have uh, a workforce uh, or a set of developers that are at various levels of experience and expertise, uh, but may have talent to go, um, go uh, far beyond what their current capacity is. Um, the companies that will make real progress or will do better um, how how you bring those people across to um, and how fast you bring those people uh, to uh, more knowledge and more better, better outcomes so with that in mind um, if people are trying to compete 
just individually. I think that's, pro um, in my experience, that I've not seen as good a result. Um, I've worked in those sort of um, sort of um, um, organisations where the most, uh, for example, most support tickets that you closed got some sort of recognition, but people go looking for the easiest tickets to solve um, because um, complexity isn't necessarily um, as easy to um, as easy to measure. So, but you don't necessarily want everybody trying for the easiest ticket to solve. You want the the people to be looking to solve the more technically challenging problems. Um, so individual behaviours um, get driven differently um, if you reward only individual um, success. I totally agree with that, that about the complexity you mentioned. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's difficult or sometimes maybe even impossible to, uh, to make those work, work pieces uh, equally or fairly uh, measured before they go to people. Mm. But my, my point and my question is, uh, maybe it is not, not, maybe it's not impossible at all. I mean, uh, maybe it's not impossible. Uh, absolutely. Maybe it is possible. Maybe it's just a problem of our teams, of our managers, that they cannot organize the work of the team, the structure of the team, so that the metrics work, so that it's possible to actually, you know, to discharge the least, the least, perform, the least performing person fairly and that's why the, because the management is not so you know strong not so smart that's why the management says you know what guys there are no metrics because metrics are bad we're not going to measure you we're not going to ask him we're not going to uh, evaluate your results because evaluation is bad but maybe in reality it's not bad maybe it's good but we cannot do it it's just technically difficult for us and the management is is not you know not smart enough to do that and that's why they say no no it's bad don't you think so? Um, even, even the top developers or the top technical people uh, that you work with, if let's say it's a, um, uh, it's a team of six developers, to distribute a package of work between the six of them that are of equal complexity and equal um, amount of work, um, I think it, it is very theoretical. Um, I don't think it is ever possible to um, to distribute them evenly, um, regardless of what kind of problem you're solving. So I, I don't think we should try and devise metrics uh, for because the effort to try and come up with a metric isn't necessarily going to um, give us reward for the effort that we spend to try and develop the metric in the first place. So, but... I think there are plenty of other ways of uh, isolating who a non-performing team member would be um, because um, when people are working with uh, others, uh, th there are different ways of isolating um, uh, non-contributing members in terms of low utilisation, time taken to complete tasks, all of those kind of things. Um, th there are some metrics that, that can be used um, to, uh, to um, show troublesome people. Okay, another practical example. Um, in another team, I was suggesting to, uh, to use a very silly metric, which is lines of code written. We all know that this is the metric which, is, uh, which doesn't really demonstrate the, you know, the productivity of a, of a, of a programmer because, yeah. you know, as you know, you can write the same code with just you know, less lines of code and that will be a better code if you use less lines. But still... Yeah. 
if you take a team of let's say 20 people and you measure the amount of code they contributed to the uh, to the source code repository over months and then you draw a, a table of all of everybody and then you see the numbers then it is very likely in my experience that the person who stays at the bottom of the table is the last as the least productive person it is just you know it is just a fact not a fact but this is just my observation that if you if if you contribute the least amount of code to the source code repository most likely you are the laziest guys in the guy in the team and most likely that person deserves to be well deserves some disciplinary actions don't you think that it's just you know, honest observation over a month, of course, over one day, that would be silly to say that because maybe in just, just one day that person was doing something else, just thinking, planning, you know, drawing diagrams, being at the meetings. But if you look at the long perspective, like a month, maybe three months of work, then if in three months that person was the least contributing programmer, then most likely that person deserves some, uh, some penalties. So that is assuming that um, you are ex uh, expecting um, everyone to do an equal amount of work. So the scenario that I uh, talked about where some of the senior guys, I actually want them to do less work and mentor some of the other people. So in that case, if I actually receive my ideal way of working, the way I want the team to work, um, then some of those top guys will actually ha end up having least lines of code, which isn't the reality at the moment because um, because the, the amount of staffing dictates that some of the um, top guys are actually uh, working more chargeable hours than I would like them to work. So mentoring is suffering a little bit at the moment. Um, but in my ideal way of working, those guys would actually have the least amount of code checked in. So. I don't necessarily think that on its own should, will hold water as, the, as a metric that, um, that we can use to isolate um, least performing individuals in the team. Uh, but we, there needs to be several um, complementary indicators uh, that will actually isolate individuals with low productivity. So mm -hmm. well, we, can, we can calibrate them then. We can calibrate them and say, you're saying that, for example, 10 hours a month is supposed to be spending on, ma on mentoring. Okay, we can calibrate that and say that one person has 160 hours a month and another one has 150 because 10 hours we deduct for mentoring. So, yeah. And then we get the results of the lines of code and calibrate them by, the, by, the, you know, by this uh, degrading coefficient. Uh, mm. Maybe that's a solution, but still, well, you may say that if people know about this metric and about this measuring system, they will try to create as many lines of code as they can, just in order exactly. to stay away from this bottom part of the table, and that will create yeah. that will you know they will that will generate a more verbose and that's why less quality code, right? Yep. Uh, I think I think um, like any any indicators, any measurement that you put in drives a certain kind of behaviour. And I think if people know that that's what they're getting measured on, they will they will make sure that um, that they put in lines of code, or rather than um, making functions out of things, they'll just write the same thing three times or something like that. So you need other other ways of uh, uh, of uh, triangulating that kind of behaviour as well. Mm -hmm. 
Another example, which is not about programmers, but about testing. We had a, a group of testers in one project and uh, they were all supposed to find bugs, to find problems in the code and in, in the product. And uh, we wanted them to find as many problems as possible. So we wanted them to actually test and break the product. And then we suggested to measure the output of those guys by the number of bugs they find. So the one, the tester who finds the biggest amount of bugs is most likely the best tester. And the one who finds the least amount of bugs is most probably the, less, the, the, the least uh, effective tester. And the results were in a few, in a few months of measuring were that uh, some of them were finding 20, 30 times more than others. So there was a huge, huge, huge uh, difference between numbers of the best testers and the worst testers. That was my, you know, that was my experience in measuring. Before. No, I think, I think uh, there are definitely um, some metrics we we can use to isolate that. Uh, in terms of lines of code, I've not actually considered that in the past, um, specifically because of um, uh, my um, apprehension that um, uh, you get. Um, not very nice um, coding behavior, but um, it, it isn't to say that um, that that isn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, sometimes these could be measured by by management and not necessarily shared and used this as a um, silent metric um, to for management to just to keep an eye on underperforming staff. So I don't see that necessarily as a bad thing. Um, it could very well be a very very useful metric. I hadn't actually thought about this for, uh, in the past, but um, it's definitely had something that has has merits in some ways, I think. Mm -hmm. And, and in, in both cases, in both of the examples I gave you, I had a huge resistance from the team. Uh, people were not liking those metrics at all. That's why I started this podcast with asking you about uh, your experience with people you know, resisting or welcoming the metrics because my experience is that uh, initially when you start suggesting uh, metrics in the team, then everybody, well, most of, of, of the programmers and testers and everybody, they will tell you that uh, the negative part of this process will, be, uh, will outweigh the positive one. Yeah. But then, in I my experience, people, when the, the, the further you move, the more you progress, the, the better your, the, 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 the more accurate your metrics are, the more people start to appreciate them and like them. I have found resistance to be highest when you're measuring individually, and I have found behaviors to control the most difficult is also when you're measuring individually. Uh, I have found that people are far more uh, willing to uh, entertain and also partake in metrics when it's, uh, for example, a team where they can feel like they're, they're part of a tribe or they're part of a team uh, that is competing against others or um, that, uh, and that also drives the behavior that they, if they see one of their teammates falling behind or not, uh, not putting in the right sort of behaviors, they will, they will individually challenge them and the team's will self-correct quite, uh, quite often. So I've found not too much difficulty trying to implement metrics uh, in team environments, but implementing individually um, has been troublesome and I've seen plenty of resistance like this. So that's not unusual uh, from my experience. So if I, if I hear it correctly, so you're saying that it's better to, uh, to make the competition 
team to team versus person to person inside yeah. the organization. Yeah. And in that case, let's say, let's, let's extend my example. So let's say we have two teams of testers and then we calculate how many bugs uh, one team finds in a month and then how many bugs the second team finds in a month. And then we compare those two numbers and then we reward somehow the team who wins. That will be productive, you're saying, right? Yep. I think that will be. And, and in that scenario, what you'll also get is, uh, let's say, people that are weak, weaker within the teams. Uh, some of the better guys will actually try and bring them up and, hey, what's happening? Um, how can we help? And that kind of drives the uh, kind of behavior that you want as well. Um, so you get some knowledge transfer um, out of necessity within the teams um, because teams are trying to compete and they kind of bring their weak along with them. Um, that that seems to be a benefit uh, from what I've the kind of approaches that I've taken to date. Mm -hmm. And that sounds like a benchmarking to me, more like you know comparing our numbers with the numbers across the organization. So let's say we have like ten different teams, and then maybe instead of competing uh, against them, we just know where we are on the total scale. So we know that our yep. performance is like you know four point two while the average performance on the team is 4.7. So it means that we are behind and we need to catch up somehow. Yeah. yeah. And also ranking the team seems to be less of an issue uh, than ranking individuals. So people will compete to be the best team and um, that, that's a kind of uh, recognition as well. Um, so some of the top guys will uh, take huge pleasure in their team being the one. So they kind of keep that kind of uh, uh, reward for uh, recognition. But at the same time, the organization gets the kind of behavior it wants out of the teams as well. So I think that's probably the best uh, balance between reward and recognition. Mm -hmm. Well, sounds like we found a solution <laughs> in, this, in this podcast. So instead of, I'm just trying to summarize. So instead of uh, making this gamification uh, uh, process, uh, you know, personal, we instead uh, move it one level up to the level of the teams and then it becomes uh, interesting and, re and, and productive. Correct? Yeah, that, that's kind of, uh, that's kind of my summary and kind of the, um, what I'm finding that is working well. Um, I'm sure different environments will have slight, uh, slight differences, but that, that seems to be uh, what's working well uh, where I am at the Okay, that sounds good. I, I'm, I'm satisfied with this conclu conclusion and um, I have no more questions for you. I have just... It was, yeah. It was great talking to you. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. I uh, really enjoyed it and uh, thanks for participation. Excellent. Have a good day. Bye-bye. You too. Thank you.